<laughs> oh, he's oh, he's calling you out right now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Can't see that on the podcast, but yes, I was pointing it back. Hello and welcome to Rekindling Relationships with Beck and Vern. As well as podcasting, we run relationship workshops for organizations, as well as fun, creative dates to reconnect couples. We live in Bendigo with our blended family of four teenagers and a menagerie of animals. Welcome to our podcast designed to answer all the tricky questions to do with relationships, done in a fun, sometimes a little silly, but hopefully an informative way. Today we're speaking with Laura Doyle, who is a relationship expert, a best-selling author and a podcaster, and we've both read your book and loved it. It's had a few name changes, so I think it is called The Empowered Wife right now. Yes, it's The Empowered Wife. Yeah, yes. so we've read an older version of that. <laughs> I'd love to find out about yes. that. So thank you so yes. much for being on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So we've just been having a chat about you know, the differences about where we live. But I think some of the things we actually probably have in common is with Australia and America is relationships and around the world. Yes, absolutely. Everywhere around the world, people, I mean, I think everyone wants to be loved and seen and heard and understood and known. And one thing which I really resonate with, which you speak about the fact that we don't actually get taught how to do this. We go to school for a long period of time and we learn a lot of different things, but we don't get taught how to build relationships. And as an uh, ex-school teacher, it's one thing that I've always thought was really important is learning how to communicate better and how to build relationships. The example that's set for us with our parents is pretty mediocre at best, I think. So we're not taught this at school. It's something that everyone wants to do well, but we all struggle to do well. I sure struggled, that's for sure. And uh, yeah, my parents are divorced, so it definitely wasn't the model you want to be following if you if you want to have a happy marriage, right? And uh, and so many of us now, our parents are right. The divorce rate is very high, so a lot of us grow up with that as our model. So we don't actually have anyone teaching us these things, and you didn't actually get taught how to be a relationship expert, obviously. You learned yeah. through doing, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, I, desperation uh, and pain were my teachers. Yeah. I, I did, though, actually seek out the women that had happy relationships that I could find. I was really right on the brink of getting divorced. And I was on the marriage counselor's couch, you know, when I realized like, oh, he's never going to change. I'm going to have to get divorced. But instead, I thought, before I do that, since I'm too embarrassed, I'll ask these women for their tips. What are their secrets for a happy relationship? And I thought they were going to say, well, you have to marry the right guy. And then I was going to be like, oh, yeah, he's the problem. Mm -hmm. And they didn't say that. They actually uh, said things that didn't make any sense to me. You know, some of the things they said, I would be like, well, have you got anything else? Like, I'm not going to do that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but then I became willing to try. I think it's fair to say, actually, that I was taught. I had to find my own teachers. The book that we read was uh, First Kill All the Marriage Counselors. Yes, but I can understand that, counselors. you know, the difference in going to a marriage counselor and learning how to work on your marriage compared to going to people who actually have really good marriages. Yeah, they're the best teachers, aren't they? By example, they've got these strong marriages. Best teachers, aren't they? Have these great examples of strong marriages. 
Yes, great people to exactly. learn from. Turns out you can be a marriage counselor who's been divorced three times, you know, has a terrible relationship. But if you've got that diploma on the wall or the certification, that's not a requirement that you have a good marriage. It was shocking, actually, to find out yeah. the things that the happy wives said that were so opposite of everything I'd been taught about relationships my whole life. Mm. But it, by the way, thanks for getting the joke about the name of the book. First kill all the marriage counselors. I thought that was hilarious. I do. It got me interested in it. I was disappointed you changed the name. (laughs) Did you trigger a few people, did you? (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Well, yeah, some people didn't get the joke. It's actually gone over... Australia as a continent seemed to understand my, my joke. <laughs> it went over really well there, uh, but not here in the States and maybe not in the UK. We're, we're very self-deprecating here. So we do, we, That's what it is. We do That's like to take the piss out of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you were not afraid of if I kill some sacred cows. You <laughs> come along with me. So, yes. So the empowered wife was the new name, and that seems to have resonated with people. Uh, but uh, anyway, I just thought it was fun that you got the joke. So thank you. Yeah, nice. <laughs> One of the things that was really interesting to me reading it as a man was this idea that women have the key to the marriage. In our lives, there's a pretty clear definition between what we do. We both work together. We run a couple of different businesses. And in both those businesses, we work together. But I'm the one who takes care of the work. I organize the work. I do the emails. I run all that. And Beck really runs the house. Not that we both, in the past, before we were together, Beck ran our own businesses. And I was a single father of two. And I was used to do the house. Do both. But now we've settled into those roles. It was really interesting you said about the women holding the key to the happy marriage. Being like, well, hang on a second. It's got to be me in there as well. Like, it's not all about what she wants. And then I sort of sat with it and realized it actually is because I do want to make her happy at the end of the day. How she is, is my prime focus. So if she's happy, then I'm happy. I must say, I read it and I felt a lot of pressure. (laughs) I was like, oh no, the pressure's on me if this like, all the responsibilities on me if this succeeds or doesn't. And I I did honestly feel a little bit stressed. Yeah, (laughs) it is stressful. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What do you feel are men's responsibility in the relationship then? I love what you just said. Uh, I've asked thousands of men, how important is it to you that your wife is happy? And you've just sort of backed into that question and said, oh, yeah, if she's happy, I'm happy. And that's the same answer I got from every man I've ever asked. I'll say, how important is it? And they say, oh, it's the most important thing or it's everything. Or in the UK, they say it's imperative. Mm. Uh, so uh, all over the world, I'm fine. And in Australia, you know, you mm. say, if she's happy, I'm happy. I really, at this point, just enjoy so much that that's who, that's how men are wired. That's who they are. And so um, as a husband, so I know that you try very hard to make Becky happy. And uh, when you succeed, you know, that's a great source of pride. And I think that's what husbands all over the world are doing. I know my husband is doing the same thing. So that is certainly an important part of it, that he's doing so much to 
to please me. It's a big part of our success around here. I remember um, in the battle days of my marriage, before I understood how he was wired, I used to just complain about things. I would say, um, oh, this kitchen is a disaster area. You know, someone needs to clean it. It's just, this is a mess. It's ridiculous. And uh, I think he just like turned up the TV a little bit so he could still hear the show he was watching over me complaining. <laughs> and then finally, um, and I think he probably couldn't even hear what, I don't think people can even hear you when you're complaining, right? Especially men, right? So he just heard probably John, blah, 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 right? He didn't hear it. Like, <laughs> yeah, the white noise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, finally, I learned to express a desire in a way that inspires him. And I would say, uh, you know, I would just love a clean kitchen. I remember the first time I said it, he goes, okay, he goes, I'll clean it. And he did. And that was over 20 years ago. And he's been doing it ever since. I never do the dishes because he knows it makes his wife happy when he cleans the kitchen. He just, he did it today. I was like, oh, this kitchen is so clean. I'm so happy. And he goes, yep, I got to keep a clean kitchen because I know you love, you know, I know it makes you happy. He feels good and I feel good. It's such a virtuous cycle now. Uh, and I don't hear myself complaining or nagging or screeching anymore. It's really just a great life hack to know that men just want to make us happy. And if you express a desire, they'll jump up to please you. You mentioned there's one part in your book that talks about receive, receive, receive. And I find us who identify as women sometimes find it hard to receive because we want to mother and nurture and look after everybody. What advice do you give women so that they can be more receptive to receiving? Yes, it's not that comfortable to receive graciously. I agree. It does feel very uncomfortable. I catch myself sometimes. I'll say, oh, no, you sit down. I'll, I'll bring your dinner over there, whatever, you know, uh, instead of uh, receiving some offers. And I guess for me, that's really become a, a kind of a discipline that I, I focus on is trying to be conscious of receiving gifts compliments, help, apologies, and special treatment with just a thank you and nothing more. I have games that I do with my students. We had these Cherish for Life weekends, for example, where I give all the participants five of these little plastic bracelets, right, as they came in the room. And each one was to represent whether they received graciously or not. If someone else gave them a compliment over the weekend and they said, uh, you know, if, if someone said, oh, those are cute shoes. And they said, oh, this, these old things, I got these on sale or I've had these forever, whatever. <laughs> oh, he's, oh, he's calling you out right now. Oh. <laughs> yep. Can't see that on the podcast, but yes, I was pointing it back as you were I speaking. Saw you throw, I saw you throwing some shade over there. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't have missed it. <laughs> I guess for me too, it just really became clear. Like you can never get special treatment unless you're willing to yeah. receive special treatment. And that's a great oh, idea yeah. with the bracelets. So I, I, yeah. really shows them whether they are receiving well or not. <laughs> And then if they did receive graciously, then they received, they could get another bracelet from another pile, not from someone else. Uh, and the person at the end of the weekend with the most bracelet got a prize for being the best receiver as a, as a way to just practice the skill and become better at it. Yeah, yeah nice. nice. That's a great yeah, idea. I really like that idea that, that, you know, that learning to receive is important, and which is the opposite of that deflection deflection of receiving which is something which you know i probably looked at um beck because i was like oh you say that you did that all the time <laughs> it's really common and um i'm i'm very appreciative so i'm always telling her what Aww. i love and what you know she's cooked an amazing meal or done something anything i'm always appreciative towards that when you're appreciative you always want that person to actually just accept it and 
but rather than deflect praise is to accept praise because then you yeah. allow people to do that yeah. more, don't so you? So thanks, Laura. That's another thing I need to work on. Well, and, and if I uh, – now that I know oh, – sorry. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to bust you just there. writing Maybe a list. A little bit. It's okay. I'm just yeah. writing a list as we're talking. Yeah. Because uh, I think of receiving now as the essence of femininity, right? This is something that men are fundamentally attracted to. And the more they can – unburden us the happier they are the more they can compliment us right like you were just saying the more they can give us their jacket when we're cold or go get the car when it's raining the happier they are and the more loved we feel so it's such a complimentary system this whole uh, yin and yang and maybe as a society we seem to have gone too far one way where women are believe that they have to be more masculine in the space they have this sense of i've got to hold everything together rather than actually by reaching out. And one of the things you mentioned is about being vulnerable and allowing to receive. It is very much this, what we would look at as a feminine quality, which you don't see as often. I think maybe also depending on the person, like, you know, before Beck and I were together, you know, you were a single mum and you had to hold it all together and had to take bring up two boys by yourself and be the feminine as well as the masculine. Well, and as a society, we've kind of pushed that belief that a successful woman is a woman that's super independent, that has a career, that looks after kids and manages a house and does absolutely everything <laughs> without any help. We're really kind of creating a rod for our own back. Then a man doesn't want to help us or it's not a, that attractive because we're actually stepping into the male role model, basically, aren't we? And it's so interesting because I know when I first wrote about these things over 20 years ago, it was considered very old-fashioned. I was thinking very 1950s, it, isn't it? <laughs> it seemed very 1950s. Yeah. I think when John Gray wrote his Mars and Venus book, you know, that was also considered old-fashioned. And it's and then women are discovering my books now and they say, this sounds so old-fashioned. So I'm really kind of curious about whether it was ever in vogue. <laughs> all seems so old-fashioned yeah. all the time, no matter when it is, right? So I'm curious about whether this is one of life's mysteries that bend our relationships unraveling. What feels the most satisfying and comfortable inside of a relationship between a man and a woman? It certainly took me many years of struggling and doing it the hard way. I would say the wrong way <laughs> in my relationship. And then once I landed on the things that I've learned, it really became incredibly very gratifying and sweet and tender and playful and passionate. Mm. And we are wired a certain way. And I like the way that you are tapping into just the way as humans, we're wired to be like, like this it. together. That's, yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, that's uh, my experience. We are saying, oh, 1950s attitude. That's 70 years ago before from 1950s before it'd probably be more like this with the masculine has this role and the feminine has this role mm. and it's only been the change in the last 70 years maybe i'm not sure i'm not convinced i think it's a lot of things we look at in the past you know the halcyon days we have a little bit of a gauze filter over it and we say oh back then people mm. knew what to do <laughs> right? people i don't think they knew what to do <laughs> they did because I mean I remember being a little irritated with my mother and my grandmothers I thought why didn't they tell me this mm. because surely they must have known you know I don't think they knew there mm. were 
wars and there were famines and there were other things yeah, yeah. going on. Way bigger. <laughs> bigger yeah, how to survive. Thing. So I think, uh, yeah, point. I think we're mm. very fortunate to live in a time. I mean, there's chaos in various parts of the world, of course. Nice that we have some peace and prosperity enough to be looking at these higher level things that, you know, we get to focus on every day. Yeah, it's nicely yeah, put. That's, that's true. Yeah. You talk about the six intimacy skills and that's something that we've noticed. Our intimacy podcast is quite popular and that's something that comes up a lot for people. Can you explain the six in- intimacy skills to us? Sure. So these are the specific actions that I learned from these other women who had happy marriages and that when I tried them in my marriage, um, they work. And that when I tried to keep practicing them on my own, I couldn't. Mm. <laughs> they were so different. And, and I broke them down into the very specific, uh, for me, needed to be very practical so that I knew if I was doing them or not. In other words, if people had said things like, well, you need to just love yourself more. Like, I didn't really know what that meant. You know, did that mean I should just hug myself more? I, I didn't know, right? Yeah. It's too vague. <laughs> so the first intimacy skill is practicing called good self-care, but it's not the traditional definition, I guess, of self-care. For me, good self-care means I've done at least three things a day for frivolous fun, just to make myself happy. Not because it reduces greenhouse gas emissions or it doesn't have to serve any higher purpose except Mm. for that it made me smile or laugh or feel good. I remember I signed myself up to play volleyball when I first started doing this. I thought, that looks fun. I think I'd like to do that. And uh, now I play volleyball about three times a week. And I go, I just get the biggest grin on my face and, you know, smear sand right here on my cheek usually too. And then I come home happy and my husband can't get enough uh, when I'm filled up and happy. And it's funny, a, a lot of women arrive on our campus in crisis and they're saying, what can I do to fix my marriage? And we say, ah, well, no, the first skill is to practice good self-care. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do I need to do to fix my marriage? And like, this, is, this is the thing. Like, trust me, we start here. You, can, you don't have the resources to use the rest of the skills yeah. if you're not filled up and happy. Yeah. yeah, it's that idea of filling your own cup, nice. isn't it? So that's your starter point. Yeah, I like that your starter point is actually not about the other person. It's actually about yourself. In your book, it come back to that a lot where it's not about how you can change the other person is how you make changes in yourself and i can see that from a masculine and feminine point of view like you know the more we make changes in ourselves, the more we love each love ourselves the deeper we can connect to each other some people might say well how do you actually get that time and like you know as parents as well so we have four teenagers so yeah. <laughs> like can you give us you, some right small there. examples of <laughs> for people in a situation where they might have very little kids or life might be really hectic and it's hard to even go to the yeah. bathroom or have a shower without being interrupted can you give us some small examples of what they could do to sure. help so i'm thinking of a particular student i have who had two small kids two toddlers she was like you know what there's no way i, I don't see how i'm gonna be able to do fun things every day because I have a 24-7 job for two very dependent little people. And certainly for teenagers, I mean, my hat's off to you. That is a lot of work also. They're they're also very dependent on you in ways that are different than a toddler. Mm. Anyway, as she went through the training and just got more focused on her self-care, we were talking to her at the end of the training and she said, well, I've taught my kids that if they want to have a happy mommy, that mommy gets two hour break every single day in the middle of the day. 
And the kids know they can't ask me for a hug. They can't ask me for a glass of water. They can't ask me for anything during those two hours. And she says, sometimes I nap, sometimes I journal. And they were happy to do it because they understood this was something they could do for mommy. And mommy was going to have this time every day and then she was going to come back. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it meant that they were on their iPads or whatever. You know, I guess that's mm -hmm. a controversial thing as well. But she was able to really use that time to fill herself up and stay balanced and happy. And then when her husband came through the door, she wasn't depleted on her last leg, uh, desperate for him to take over, you know, so she could have that break or whatever. Mm. She was already relaxed and fulfilled. So that's one example. Self-care can also be small things like even just putting lotion on before bed, staying in the shower a little extra time, making sure you have good podcasts lined up for the commute. Oh, that got a little look too. I do like long, long showers. <laughs> even grabbing a coffee, I think is a nice one too, you know just to take away coffee and a little walk, you know, just go for a quick walk and grab a coffee for half an hour and just to sometimes take you out of the space. I was just noticing when I looked across before is because that's a big part of Beck's self-care is actually to have, you know, two and a half hour showers. <laughs> <laughs> two and a half? Is that that's, all? Oh, that's what it seems like. <laughs> How does she get clean? <laughs> I'm glad you get our humour. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the idea of actually telling the kids, I'm going to have this time. This is my time. And this is something you do for me. And I guess it's going back to before you were saying you need to express your desires to your husband. Tell them what you want. Tell everyone mm. else what you want. You know, then you can act accordingly. And maybe we're setting a good example for the next generation of kids in relationship if we do that, where we're like, we just need to take a little bit of space instead of it being all about the kids. <laughs> yeah, where the kids become so entitled because they expect your attention all the time. They That's expect right. all the yeah. things all the time. That's right. They good can tip. learn how to entertain themselves for a little while. Yeah. Uh, but, and it is true. You're teaching everyone else how to treat you well when you treat yourself well absolutely yeah i like that and so what was your second skill the second skill is respect r-e-s-p-e-c-t right aretha could sing it for us <laughs> and what's interesting about this one is i grew up knowing that i should be respectful to my husband that was part of my early childhood training somehow <laughs> And I was like, I am respectful, except for the way he drives, the way he dresses, and the way he eats. My list went on and on. So I, I really was very clueless about what respect looked like. And I think even to this day, I'll be writing a podcast or a blog or something about respect. And I'll just think, this is so weird, because I think the female brain, it's, we just don't look at it the same way as uh, men do. But my definition of respect these days is treating my husband as though he's capable and competent and that I expect the best outcome from him, not the worst outcome. I was a huge fail in this in the early days because he would say, well, I think I'm going to do this. And I was like, are you sure you should do that? You know, I thought I was just being helpful by offering maybe the, to be the devil's advocate about a work situation or something. And uh, it wasn't helpful at all because he, he just heard it as a veiled criticism. Like, oh, she doesn't think I'm smart enough to handle things mm. at, at, like at work yeah. myself. In fact, I will tell you, I, to this day, I'm not perfect with this respect thing. So we were out to dinner <laughs> not too, too terribly long ago and we we're having this nice conversation. It was like a Saturday night. It's kind of a, you know, swanky Saturday night re restaurants. It's all packed and the, you know, people are laughing at the bar and the waiters are zipping by and we're just having this really nice time. And, and then I made a comment about his work. I thought it was fairly innocent, but he got this look on his face like, 
And I just thought, uh oh, you know, something went wrong. And I wasn't quite ready to be accountable yet. So I just said, oh, was that disrespectful? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, oh. And then I thought, okay, now, now I know what to do. I said, oh, I apologize for being disrespectful when I criticized your client because it really was my veiled way of saying you shouldn't give preferential treatment to that client. And, uh, and he knew that. And so he goes, so then all of a sudden he gets to, he smiles again and like the music starts back up and the waiters start zipping by again <laughs> and the laughter is back, right? Like everything comes back mm. and our good night, our good time out was saved in the old days. That could have been a three-day cold war where there's no talking for days mm. um, and it's very tense at, at our house. We used to have that or else we'd have just wall-to-wall hostility and lots of bickering and we'd both say things that were mean and horrible, I'm sorry mm. to say. Mm. So uh, it's just been wonderful to know how I can begin to uh, repair things before they even really break down. Uh, by being accountable when I'm not so respectful. And I have a better idea of what respect actually looks like and how to bring that. We have all these cheat phrases that we use uh, on our campus to just the same way you teach children to say please and thank you because you want to cultivate a grateful heart, right? Mm -hmm. So we do the same thing with uh, various phrases that are meant to connect your heart to a place of respect. Yeah, nice. Yeah. That's beautiful. It's, it's interesting because we actually had a conversation about this, about the fact that this bit on respect, I was like, yeah, I totally understand that. And this is not just men to women, but men to men as well. When a man's not being respectful to you, oh, I automatically will go on the defensive when someone's not being respectful. And we run school programs. And yesterday we were working with a group of grade five, six students. So they're like, probably 11, 12 years old. And there was a few of them who were just being so disrespectful. And I'd had enough and I just stopped everything. I said, right, we're going to talk about respect right now because this is not happening. And then we came home and had another conversation about respect. And I was like, yeah, I actually expect it because I give it to everyone. And if I don't give respect to someone, then I don't expect it back. But if I'm being respectful, I expect respect back. And it's very important. And you saying said before, it's like oxygen. I've heard you. Like, <laughs> yes, so, yes. And it really is. It is something which is very important to men. You know, Beck is very respectful. But when she's not, when she's like asking me questions about something to do with work, where I'm like, no, I've got this. Then straight I can feel my back go up. It's just like, hmm, what, don't you think I'm capable or competent or whatever? So it's not going over the top about respect. It's actually that baseline of that person's an adult that person's got their act together. Well, hopefully they do. They can manage it. I guess the more respect you give, the more respect you get back to, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. It's interesting because I think one of the things that's come to bear for me, and I appreciate you just validating that the way I described respect really resonates for you because I think it, it is a little bit foreign still to the at least this female brain to describe it that way. It's interesting as I notice I have different priorities. My husband really wants to be respected. Well, I want to be taken care of. I want to feel special. I want to be adored. You know? mm. Like I love when he makes me laugh. So respect is not really as high a priority for me as some of these other things, feeling cherished. I see us as coming to the table with different priorities, but they're very complimentary. When yeah. I'm respectful, boy, he just can't do enough to cherish me. And when he's cherishing me, I feel like, well, it's so easy to be respectful, but unless I forget and then, you know, <laughs> something else comes up or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's where it really was all about focusing on me becoming my best self. I want to be a respectful wife. That sounds good to me, 
not in the sense of like, oh, my husband's in charge of things, but just to, in the sense that, that I trust him. And I think I married him because he's the smartest guy I ever met. Hmm. Yeah, I like that it's not about respect as in you're more important than me. It's respect as in we're equal and I want you to trust me, so I have to show trust in you. So it works both ways. Yeah, I would say I wouldn't even say so much I want you to trust me. It's more like, um, yeah, see, that's where I think there's a little Maybe bit that's the masculine, my masculine brain, which is like, your, oh, yes. That's your masculine. About, yeah, we're, we're, that's the Beck's not worried. Like for us, Beck's not worried about me being respectful towards her in the sense that that's not her first priority. You know, she wants me to be respectful and she'll know straight away if I'm not, but that's probably not as high up on your priority list as it is for me. Yeah, true. Yeah. How about if someone's in a relationship with a man who's just not respectful at all, like really disrespectful? Do you think changing your way of the partner's way of being in the space will change that other person's behavior? I do. I think that the more you trust someone, like people tend to rise to our expectations mm. uh, in my experience. And I even have this experience. So now that I, I teach this work and I've studied it for over 20 years, um, I use it in all my relationships, not just with my husband, because I understand at least a, a modicum, you know, better than I used to. And I'll just notice in my business interactions that as soon as I say, uh, even to a contractor or something like, well, you know, whatever you think, I, I trust you to make a good decision on this. They just trip over themselves to make me happy, to do the best job, to really please me, to show what they're capable of, right? To like, oh, she's trusting me. I don't want to let her down. So there's a bit of a sacred trust that comes in. They want to hold it in safe hands. I consider that um, another, I guess, life hack I, I, that you can use to really bring out the best in others. Is Some of my coaches will use it with their teenagers because that's a time when the, your kids are getting more privilege and more autonomy over their own life than they've ever had. And I've seen them use that with their teenagers too. Like, well, basically I know I raised you right, right? I know that you make good decisions when you're with other kids who are doing things that, that might be risky. You know, I trust you or whatever. And then mm. they walk, those kids walk away with the weight of that trust on their shoulders it seems to get them a better response mm. than uh, saying, hey, don't you, you know, remember, don't do drugs <laughs> or whatever, yeah. you know, parents are mm. tempted to say sometimes. I really like the, the idea of that sort of life hack of being able to say to men, especially, I trust you know what you're doing. I was in India quite a few years ago. And I remember there was a guy who was packaging these books up for me. And in India, they wrap it up in like calico and sew it up to send it. And he was doing it. And I was like, oh, maybe you should do this. And he stopped. And he looked at me and goes, this is what I do. And I was like, oh, good point. I'll just shut up and let you do it. And that was a, just that moment there where I was like, oh, actually, dude. And I didn't even think about it until now that I was actually being disrespectful to him. But I was. And he pulled me up on it. And since then, I regularly, when someone's doing something, I'll be like, yep, you tell me what you think. You, you, you know what you're talking about. It always gets a much better response. <laughs> you get a much better response, yeah. right? If you really want someone to do a good job. Yeah. yeah. So mm. that's a great example yeah. of respect. And yeah. it really is changing your, the way you ask for something and the way you tell something. It, it, it's like a little bit of a shift, isn't it? You're being very respectful. You're being careful with someone else's feelings as well, aren't you? Yeah. I know for me, there was this matter of realizing that underneath that disrespect and that desire to control was fear. Mm. You know, I was just a very fearful person. Mm. And choosing my fear and acting on that 
uh, was not getting me great results from anyone. And it didn't feel good either. Uh, you know, deciding like, hey, I think everything's going to be okay here, right? That was actually a big shift as well. So yeah, you make a good point. It is it's a, a shift in how you communicate, but it, it also changes your heart. It mm. changes the way you look at that other person. Yeah, nice. Tell right? us about your third yeah. skill. Skill number three is to stop being too helpful, we call it. <laughs> so a lot of us <laughs> like to be helpful. Uh, we're helpers. We unwittingly become smother mothers instead of the... Um, smother mothers. Yeah, this is an issue I have. This is definitely <laughs> one of my issues. Me too, Becky. So you know, maybe she's samesies. Samesies. To this day, I still do. Like, oh, man. I'm going to use that term next time it happens and be like, oh, look out. Here comes the smother helpful. mother. Come in, SM. Yeah, here comes Smother Mother. Here comes Smother Mother, yeah. Yeah, so we have, um, so one of the cheat phrases we use in this skill is whatever you think. I had trained my husband that he should consult me before he made big decisions like starting a business or buying a car or getting dressed. So I had to uh, undo some training when I first began this uh, work with the intimacy skills. And so uh, he would say, what should I wear? Basically, you know, and I would say, oh, whatever you think. And I mean, his head started to explode at first. I remember he was all like, has my wife been stolen by body snatchers? Because I was unfortunately, <laughs> I was very controlling. I mean, the guy, you know, from what he ate for lunch, like, oh, this is the wrong kind of lettuce. There's not enough nutrition in it. Right. And I just had, a, a, I had something to say about practically everything. Cause I knew just about everything. <laughs> and, um, and my hum, my husband is actually a, a very humble guy. So he, and he's very relaxed and kind of low key. And so he just kind of was making all these accommodations. Uh, and then I thought, gosh, he just never takes initiative. You know, he just doesn't, he doesn't, well, he doesn't seem very manly and I couldn't figure out why. Mm. Well, it was because I was constantly controlling. Taking uh, all that away from know, him, hadn't you? Taking it all away. There was no yeah. room. I was controlling all the finances at that time. And then I'd get so mad because I'd be like, look, you've got to pay attention to what's going on here with the finances. And I'm now I look back, I'm like, well, how could he? Because I would say, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to put off paying this bill until we pay that bill so we can, you know, I had it all figured out. And he was just like, okay, you know, <laughs> he wanted me to be happy, mm -hmm. right? So I really dug my own ditch for us to slide off into. So don't do too much is the tip there. Don't be a smother mother. Don't be a smother well, mother. Maybe, I like maybe, that. Maybe stay in your lane. Stay <laughs> Stay in your lane, you know, because that's like, that's yeah. probably the thing is yeah. when we start trying yeah. to take care of everything. And I'm, I'm a bit of a controlling person. Like when we drive, I'm like, oh, you should turn left here and turn right there. And, you know, we'll shave off 30 seconds on the way, which is important to me because I want to be efficient driving. But, you know, Beck's just like, let's chat and enjoy. And there's a story in your book yeah. about the same thing, but opposite. <laughs> and I thought that was quite interesting. It's like, oh, okay. There's elements of me being a smother father. So, <laughs> yeah. Just, 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 yeah. Just, he's up. It's not, it. it's not important. Stay in my lane. Yeah. In your book, the, with the six skills, there's things definitely for, you know, you say this is for the empowered wife or woman. But I think also for men, there's a lot in your book to help men because I think if we took on some of those things as well and looked at those skills and went oh okay I don't need to control what Beck does and she's cooking something amazing in the kitchen and I'm just like oh blah 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 and then she'll look at me and I'll be like oh yeah I've got no right to tell you what to do you're making an amazing meal I should just go back to what I was doing which is cleaning up <laughs> maybe there's a sequel book in that 
a sequel. There we go. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, <laughs> maybe how you know how the man can uh, let the woman step into her feminine side. Yeah, the happy husband. The happy husband. <laughs> the respected husband. The I don't know. Yeah, there's some, yeah, there's something in there. <laughs> Tell us about skill number four. Number four is back to, uh, we touched on it already. It's receiving graciously. Mm -hmm. So accepting gifts, compliments, help, apologies, and special treatment. Yeah, and I think that's uh, really important, isn't mm. it? It's so important to be able to actually just receive. It sure is. It's sort of like, and we were mentioning. It's harder said than done. It's harder said. Well, yeah. yeah. We were talking about this the other day where we said that, you know, when you are giving to someone, but you don't accept from them, you're always giving. So you get that good feeling of actually helping other people. But when you don't receive, you stop the other person from getting that opportunity to feel like that. So it becomes a one way thing. You know, yes, you're doing everything, but you also feel good about yourself. If you stop the other person from doing it, then you're stopping them from feeling good about themselves. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's so true. And it's, I think it's such a sign of confidence when you are a gracious receiver, right? I think that can make you more attractive. I always think of Kat Dealey. I don't know if you guys have, you, do you, you probably have, so you think you can dance? Do you have that show there? Oh yeah. 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 Okay. So Kat Dealey is the host of it in America, even though she's British. So maybe you have her too. I don't know if maybe she's all over the world. <laughs> she might be everywhere. She's, so, she's such a great receiver. Like I remember one night she got up on the stage and she was there all glittery and beautiful and the judges said oh cat you look so beautiful and she just smiled and said thank you she really took it in under the white hot spotlight right mm. and then they said and cat congratulations on your emmy nomination and again she just smiled and glowed and said thank you those judges had also been nominated for emmys so she could have easily deflected the attention from herself and said, oh, and congratulations to you, too. But she did it. And Kat Dealey is so gorgeous. She just is so beautiful. And I think this is a big part of her success, that she knows how to receive graciously. Yeah. Mm. I think that is something that I think we can work on together. Or when I say, work work, together, when I say work I on like, together, I was looking at Beck going like, I think this I feel is like something you should do. I need to work on. <laughs> well, <laughs> Just, I don't know where the together part is. I always just take it in. I'm just like, yeah, of course. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. He is a gracious receiver. <laughs> I'm very gracious receiver. It's like, oh, uh, compliment. Oh, I'll feed off that for a while. Yeah, I'll take it. More, more, more. Right? Well, and this leads us to skill number five, which is about vulnerability because receiving is a vulnerable act. Mm. Because uh, you're not in control, especially if someone compliments your hair and you know you haven't even washed your hair, much less colored it, much less styled it, right? Mm. And then it's to you to decide if you're just going to take their kind words in and agree with them, uh, at least let them land, or if you're going to argue about whether your hair is attractive or not, right? So mm. uh, it can feel vulnerable. And that is what we work on with skill number five. We practice being vulnerable because vulnerability is actually what creates fascination that leads to lifelong commitment and create intimacy and connection. You've got a great quote in your book about vulnerability. It says, vulnerability sounds like truth and feels like courage. Truth and courage aren't always comfortable, but they are never weaknesses. About the importance of being vulnerable, it's not easy and we sometimes think of it as a weakness, but is actually great courage and strength Mm. in that. Yeah, I think Brené Brown speaks about it a lot as well, about vulnerability. And it's an interesting thing because it's something which 
as a man, I would say that we are taught not to be vulnerable. We have to be very strong. We have to be very guarded. We can be attacked at any moment, physically, emotionally. But in a relationship, and I feel like with you, Beck, is that I have the opportunity to actually be able to be vulnerable, but in a masculine way, and for us to have a deeper connection because of it. Mm. If people struggle with this, what advice would you give them? If people struggle with being vulnerable with their partner, do you have any advice for them? I mean, I sure struggled with it too. I feel like I was raised not to be vulnerable also. Mm. <laughs> I think um, it, cause, because it does seem like weakness, right? It feels so awkward when you're vulnerable. So we have some more cheat phrases on this topic. So I'll give you an example of one of them. We're just sort of scraping the surface of each mm. of these skills. Of course, there's there's more to them. But one of them is to use the word ouch. So let's say your husband makes a joke, but you don't think it was funny. And it really kind of hit a nerve. Um, one way to respond would be to say, ouch, or it's worse than that. Maybe he's just really come out and said something totally rude for whatever reason. He's in a bad mood and you can say, ouch, and then nothing more. For me, just two things. One is that I'm sort of staying present for Laura when I say, ouch, right? I'm really kind of tending to myself instead of maybe gearing up for a battle and zinging some arrows at him something I might have to apologize for later, which never feels good. It kind of leaves a, an emotional hangover, I feel like, mm. if I, especially if I'm disrespectful. Uh, or it, yeah, if I just say something horrible, that just doesn't feel good. So I stay present for me. I prevent myself from saying something rude. And then another thing that comes out of this is sometimes my husband can only hear his own conscience when I'm not arguing with him about what he just said. I'm not mm. criticizing it. Yeah, you're not, being, you're not being pulled into yeah, an good. argument. That's a good point. Yeah. 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 And so very often I get an apology. He's like, oh, oh, I didn't, I didn't mean to out you. I'm sorry. I shouldn't be joking about that. Or, you know, he backpedals right away. And he, again, it's that sacred trust comes back and the emotional safety mm. can be restored. Yeah, that's really beautiful because mm. it's rather than retaliating in anger, it's that holding it and being like, hmm, well, there's vulnerability in that and saying, yeah, you've actually hurt me, but I'm not going to go into that. You know, you know, and I know, <laughs> so you work it out. I think as a man, I appreciate that because I think sometimes for me, I can be insensitive and that will be, you know, without making too many excuses, I could, you know, my head could be full of work or it could be full of these things I've got to do or maybe I feel like, yeah, I'm not present in the space and I'll say something and if there's no retaliation, then it will just hang there and then I can sit with it and go, oh, hang on a sec. But when there's retaliation or when there's anything and you don't, you don't really retaliate, you don't ever try and pick a fight. Yeah, I can see how that actually is a really good way to put an end to it gently, but without letting the other person know really well that you know, they've actually done something wrong. I think that would be a good one to even teach our children. Yeah. You know, that idea that rather than being sucked into arguments and is just to say, ouch, you know, even bullying and stuff like that, you know, it's, it's just going, yep. This is how this how it made yeah. me feel. Yeah. And, yeah. I don't. I don't, I don't. I don't. I walk mm. away. I don't. I don't have to engage mm. with this. You obviously have no. Yeah. You're not. You're not being careful with my feelings. So. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. This. Yeah. I think. Yeah. It, yeah. It does sound like a great thing to teach kids because it does strangely provide some sort of invincibility. I've decided also because mm. the longer I go saying "ouch," the more it 
becomes clear like uh ah it was unintentional right it was a misunderstanding mm. uh that was not the you know my husband never intends to hurt me ever right yeah. he mm. Not intentionally, he doesn't hurt uh, hurt my feelings. It just kind of reinforces my sense of safety, and especially because I don't abandon myself in that moment when I'm feeling hurt to then go, you know, go out into battle and like stab, 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 or you know, do whatever <laughs> I have to feel like I have to do to uh, yeah. fix that situation. So let's say the sixth skill would be gratitude. Gratitude, yeah. Skills underneath the gratitude topic is the spouse fulfilling prophecy. This is my, I feel like it's just indistinguishable from magic. I call it the change your husband skill. <laughs> so, and it really starts with a complaint, you know, whatever it is you're complaining about with your husband, we all have one, you know, he works too much. He doesn't work enough, right? He, uh, whatever it is, he, mm. you know, he spends too much time playing uh, computer games or he spends too much time at work or he spends too much time, uh, you know, working on his car, whatever it is, we all have a complaint and you can take that complaint and flip it upside down because really the complaint that you have is your spouse fulfilling prophecy it's an unwitting one it wasn't an intentional one but it's what you're experiencing and it's what you're gathering evidence for you know see there he is on his phone again i told you he's always on his phone right well no one can ever always or never be anything so you're really you're lying but people don't uh, get upset if you say he's always late right that doesn't feel like a lie but if we switch it to the opposite way, we say, oh, he's never late. Then it's like, oh, well, that's not true. Right. So sometimes we tend to fine tune the negative. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we like amplify it. Yeah. Amplify it. Exactly. And so uh, so people say, so I say, if, if he's not always late, that means he's sometimes on time and sometimes could even be a lot times he's on time. How about if we focus on that? You know, maybe he, you know, he never does the dishes. Well, that one time he took his plate to the sink, that was, you know, that's one time. So uh, you can focus on what he's doing right and find evidence for it. I'll give you an example in my own marriage. I used to say very often, oh, you don't make enough money. Uh, you should try to get a raise. You should try to get a better job. And my husband always heard, rightly so, that you don't make enough money. That was my spouse fulfilling prophecy. Hmm. And I remember he quit his job and he wasn't making any money. And I was seething with resentment. I was so unhappy and upset about this. And then uh, I decided I was going to change it up and start saying, you've always been a good provider. And just for fun, I thought I'm going to start calling him Mr. Moneybag. So I just very intentionally, consciously decided to make this change. And then I started gathering evidence. He mm. was a good provider. Not all of it was financial even. I would say, look, you know, you did the dishes. You're, you really take such good care of me. You're such a good provider. Or, oh, look, you put gas in the car. You know, now he charges the car. We have an electric car. What a good provider you are. Around that time, my husband started his own company. And he had never done that before. He always worked for someone else. And he was more successful with his company than he had ever been. And maybe that's just a coincidence. But my whole experience changed when I changed my perspectacles to one of gratitude and catching him doing something right hmm. instead of focusing on what he was doing wrong. And I, so I give all the credit to the power of the spouse fulfilling prophecy. To this day, I still call him Mr. Moneybags because he's definitely Mr. Moneybags. It doesn't, even, it doesn't feel like a stretch now at all. It did at the time. But now that is just, that is my reality is that my husband is a great provider and he is Mr. Moneybags. I sort of equate that to in some way, it's like, you know, when you're looking for a certain type of car and then you see that car everywhere, it's what you look for, what you, you focus on, you 
draws more attention to it it seems like it brings more of it into your life rather than yeah and focus on the positive rather than negative and nice yeah i really like that made it easy and turned into this list of skills which are just really simple these are the things work on these things and this will make things better and the fact that it is a self-focus, I feel like it's more women take their men, drag their men to their marriage counsellors and the other way around. And maybe it's because that side of the relationship, that is not what I might focus on. I'm like, oh, everything seems to be all right. You seem happy. Well, let's just go about our business without realising it. And it's when the changes start happening and, yeah. you know, for, for Beck, you know, she creates a happiness in our lives because she actually makes sure that I feel good about myself and so I feel good about myself so I do everything possible to make her life good as well mm. so it's that reciprocal yeah nice yeah. the yeah. virtuous cycle begins yeah right? <laughs> yeah and the idea of it's a pull rather than a push isn't it you're sort of pulling the person towards you rather than trying to push them to do something like, it's an attraction like a it's more attraction that's right yeah. mm. that's right yeah because yeah. well, men, yeah. men I know I hate being pushed <laughs> It's just like you want to, you want the worst of me. It's like trying to push me to do something. I'll even if I do want to do it. We also have uh, realized that sex is a big issue in relationships. And why do you think it goes missing in a relationship? And how do you feel people can get it back? Is it by displaying these intimacy skills in their relationship? Well, there is a a really powerful, amazing aphrodisiac for men. It's free, and um, I didn't ever know about it, but now I do, and it's respect. Yeah. <laughs> Respect is such a terrific aphrodisiac. So when the physical intimacy has gone missing, that's the first thing that we, we take a look at. How is the respect level? Or the other thing is, back to that smother mother idea, men are not sexually attracted to their mothers. And if that's who we remind them of, if we're doing their laundry, making their doctor's appointments, packing their lunches, doing all the things that mom <laughs> used to do even, uh, being too helpful, yeah. making helpful suggestions, you know, then that can really... And, and mothers are not sexually attracted to their sons either. Yeah. So really, <laughs> go, go away on that's both true. sides. That's a very good point. <laughs> Yeah, we do yeah, step into so, that motherly role very easily. Now that I've had the privilege of helping tens of thousands of women restore the physical and emotional, uh, spiritual intimacy in their marriages, really remarkable to see how quickly things can come back when she has the right skills. Can and she spark knows what back to up. Do and she's yeah. not just uh, walking around in the dark. Yeah, nice. Yeah, and I think that bit about expressing your desire as a woman like this is saying exactly what you want. I do think that because women can actually read each other's minds very, really well, they can look at each other and go, oh, I know exactly what you're thinking. I know what that look is. I know what that expression is. That women sometimes believe that men can do that. But we don't do that. We don't look at your face to work out what's going on. We're generally listening to hear what's going yes. on. But we don't, even each other, like men don't look at each other in the face and take facial cues from each other. We don't even grow up like that. You can see the difference. If you walk into any primary school or high school and all the, the girls will be sitting around the circle having conversation, all the boys are sort of chasing a ball in different directions. We don't grow up with the facial cues, so we don't have the ability to read minds like women do. But sometimes we are expected to read minds. We're like, oh, I'm supposed to know what's going on inside their head. We have no idea. And so when this is what I want, this is how I feel, this is what's going on for me, then it's like, oh, good. I, I know what to do with that. 
you know it's something tangible i can do with rather than me trying to work it out oh something's wrong i'm not too sure what it is uh she just seems mad at me what have i done i'll go through all the list of all the things that's just exhausting that makes life hard as well especially if we say everything's fine no everything's fine (laughs) (laughs) so obvious it's not fine (laughs) so so this is you know that's the way i communicate with men isn't it by being really clear what do you have any other good tips for communicating with men thing I would say is that, you know, I'm on a mission to end world divorce. That's my mission now, because I, it was so heartbreaking to be in mm. a struggling marriage. And I just don't want any other woman to suffer oh, because she doesn't have the right information or the right support. Mm. And yet, and having the right information is a great start. And for me, I couldn't do it until I got, I started making my girlfriends do it with me. And I had a little support circle. And so that's why I have a, a coaching organization now. We have a, a community and we all sort of practice these skills together. What is it they say? If you hang out at the barbershop, you're going to get a haircut, right? Mm-hmm. So it's nice to have the the accountability of your peers who are like-minded to help keep you focusing on the things that you want to be experiencing because what you focus on increases. I guess I just want to say that if just hearing the list of skills uh, doesn't change your marriage immediately or if the skills don't seem to be working for you i know for me getting support was just huge Mm. that made a big difference hearing myself say things out loud uh, having other women point out my blind spots where i couldn't see that i was being very controlling still even though i said i I wasn't Mm. (laughs) to really want to offer that encouragement and i think when women come to our campus a lot of times they think their marriage is terminally unique right that they are in such a crisis, there's such mm. a state that there's no help for this. To paraphrase Thomas Wolfe, miracles not only happen, they happen all the time. We see marriages, you know, like the phoenix sort of rising from the ashes of the old marriage and becoming the one she dreamed of when she said, I do. Mm. I just want to make sure that if you're listening to this, that you get the message that there is just tremendous hope, no matter how hopeless it seems right now. Mm. Awesome. Yeah, that's a beautiful message. Laura, what does the course look like at your campus and can people do it online? Well, right now I have something kind of fun going on. We have a free Adored Wife Roadmap that you can get at lauradoyle.org and go and just download the Adored Wife Roadmap, which also includes the three things that wives commonly do, the mistakes they make, trying to get his time, attention, and affection. So that's a great place to start and get connected. Great. I'll put that link in our show notes. A lot of what we've been talking about has been very heteronormative. How about for couples who are in different types of relationships? So, you know, we're talking gay and lesbian couples. So, of course, everyone deserves to be in an intimate, passionate, peaceful, playful relationship. You know, I just set out to save my own marriage. That's all I was trying to do in the Mm. beginning. Mm. And so everything I do is based on my experience in this relationship with a man and a woman. And so I'm I'm a little bit limited in that regard. That's all I have to share. And that's to say we haven't had students of all stripes saying that they want this. We're always happy to help anyone who feels strongly that relationships, especially marriage, is important because it is. Absolutely. Great. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for chatting to us this morning. Or this afternoon. Or this afternoon where you are. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Take care, Laura. Thank you so much. So lovely to meet you. See you. you. Bye. Bye -bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you. So thanks for listening. And we've been talking to Laura Doyle, who's the author of The Empowered Wife. Please listen to our upcoming episodes where we look at some more books based on helping you with your intimacy and in your relationships and hopefully talking to a few more authors as well. See you next time. See ya. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and follow us. 
and check out our website at rekindlingrelationships.com. Bye for now. See ya.